Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Today is a special episode. I am interviewing the person that gave me my foundation for accounts payable, Mary Schaefer. Stay tuned to hear what she considers to be the most critical topic for today's accounts payable teams. Okay, everyone, I am very excited to be interviewing Mary Schaefer. She is a nationally recognized accounts payable expert, and she is the founder of AP Now, a B2B niche media firm focused on creating business intelligence around the accounts payable and payment functions. She has written 18 books and is a frequent and popular speaker at both online and live events. Previously, she held positions as an assistant treasurer for the Equitable Life Assurance Society, a finance risk manager for ONY, and a corporate cash manager for Continental Grain. She has an MBA in finance from NYU and a BS in mathematics from York College. Welcome, Mary, and thank you for joining me on the Putting the AP in Happy podcast. Thanks, Deborah, and thanks for inviting me. I'm always thrilled uh, to have the opportunity to talk to people who are interested in the accounts payable function. As you might imagine, it doesn't happen that often. (laughs) Yes, but we are coming to the forefront in today's world with the cyber crimes and the potential for fraud and accounts payable. So we are finally getting to the forefront where we have always belonged. Exactly. Exactly. You may not know this, but you actually helped to form my bases in (laughs) accounts. I was a new controller back in 2007, 2008, and I had oversight over the AP function. So I went to the library to learn as much as I could. And it wasn't much, but there was one author that absolutely ruled, and that was you. And I eventually purchased four of your books, and they remained on my desk through um, just recently when I uh, left a Fortune 15 company where I was an AP senior manager for global vendor maintenance, those four books were still on my desk. So thank you very much for giving me my basis in accounts payable. Well, you're very welcome. And your experience, Deborah, is not that unusual. Uh, Many times uh, the people are brought in from other departments to run the accounts payable function. And yeah, they know what accounts payable is about. You know, they know, you know, you pay the bills, you pay the invoices. They don't um, 100% realize just 
just how detailed it is. And then when they get in and they start rolling up their sleeves, they see just how complicated it can be. And of course, my, my big issue in accounts payable is if, you know, accounts payable is all in the details. And if you don't pay attention to the details, that's when you end up with fraud, duplicate payments, trouble with the regulatory agencies. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on. Exactly. All right, so why don't we go ahead and get started. The first question I have for you is, you started off in treasury and financial risk. How did you get into accounts payable? So um, I am willing to bet that my career path is different than virtually everybody else's out there. That doesn't mean it's a good career path. It just means that it's mine. So you're right. I was in I was in finance and, and, and treasury, and I was working for a company that the company was actually at that time the largest landlord in New York City. And a real estate company at that point in time, or, or that type of real estate company, is more of a finance company than a real estate company, although obviously real estate is a very important component. So, and, and I also was always interested in real estate on the personal side, you know, buying and selling, selling houses. So I'd been there for a while, and uh, I was also big on giving advice. So people would sometimes ask me about getting mortgages and one, whatnot. So one day, I, you know, I had a brainstorm. I was on vacation. I was sitting on the beach, and I thought, you know what? I'm always yamma, 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 telling people about what they should do to you know, buy a house, how to get a mortgage, what, how the math works, because I'm a big math person. Why don't you write a book about this? I thought, well, that's a good idea. And so I sat down and I started writing a book about um, not a, a real, about real estate, but more specifically about uh, vacation real estate. And after I was about halfway finished, I had this horrible thought. And I thought, what if you write this book and nobody wants to buy it and nobody's interested in publishing it? Um, and of course, if, if most writers who, who come to writing, you know, don't start with a book and they, and they realize this is an issue. And so I was in a bit of a panic. And what I did at that point, and it's something that, you know, I advise people to do all the time about any topic that they're interested in, is I went to the library because there was no Internet then. And I started taking out all different books on writing and how you sell a book and whatnot. And that's basically how I learned how to write a book proposal and how to um, sell a book. So eventually I did sell, sell the book, and then I wrote a second book on what basically what I was doing in my job at that point, which was derivatives called Understanding Interest Rate Swaps. So although I had started out as this was going to be a one-off, um, I found that I liked the process of writing and I liked putting this stuff together. And at the same time, the company that I was working for ran into financial difficulties. And I got moved from working in uh, derivatives and where, where I was financial risk manager. Um, and since our, our credit rating had kind of plummeted, if you will, um, nobody was really interested in doing that type of activity with us. And I got moved to loan documentation. Now, loan documentation, in my personal opinion, is never particularly interesting. In good times, it's kind of a rote job, and in bad times, it's a nightmare because you're not complying with any of the um, your your, uh, rest your restrictions or your requirements in your loans. Um, so that was not it was not a good fit for me on uh, even on a good day. And I didn't like it, and I liked writing, so I decided. Um, that I was going to go out and look for a writing job. Now, the first thing that I discovered when I did that was that writing uh, pays a lot less than finance, okay? 
probably shouldn't have come as a big surprise to me, but it did. So I started looking and I started applying and um, it, you know, it was going so-so. I either didn't get callbacks because I didn't really have that much experience. At that point, I'd written two books and maybe, I don't know, 25 or 50, I forget at this point, magazine articles. And one day I saw an advertisement and it was kind of a, um, if you will, a come to Jesus moment. And I saw this advertisement and it was for a job that I was perfectly uh, matched for. And I remember thinking as I was getting my uh, resume together with my cover letter and, and my sample clips, which is what you have to do if you're a writer, and I was printing it all out and putting it in the mail because that's what we did back then. I remember thinking, if you can't get called for an interview for this job, never mind getting it because, you know, getting it, there's always other factors. But if you can't get called for an interview, then perhaps you've got to rethink this because there's never going to be a job that you are more perfectly suited for. And luckily, I got called for the interview. Um, I got the job and I started. So my first um, newsletter was on um, receivables. And my second one was on um, cash management, which was kind of a natural fit. And at, at that company, everybody wrote three newsletters. So they were routing around trying to come up with another newsletter for me. And somebody said, well, she's doing accounts receivable, accounts payable. That makes sense, doesn't it? So they came to me and they said, you know, we've got this idea. It's account. Uh, how about you do an, an article on accounts payable? Now, I'd had some interaction with accounts payable when I was at um, uh, the real estate company. And I thought about it. I thought, this is a terrible idea. And so not one to keep my opinions to myself. I went to the owner of the company and I said, John, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. I said, I don't think people will buy it, number one. And number two, what am I going to put in it? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. And we had this conversation several times. And finally, he said to me, he said, you know what? We've heard you. We're going to go forward with this. If it fails, nobody will blame you. Okay? So just, like, stop complaining. And a few days, about a week before we, did, we launched the newsletter, I had a, kind of an epiphany. And I thought, you know what? this is going to work. This is going to be a success because there's nothing out there and the people in accounts payable see all the money that their companies are spending on other employees and now here's something finally for them. So I went to him and I said, you know what, I changed my mind. And he said, that's nice. Um, uh, and so we launched the newsletter. It was a huge success and the rest, as they say, is history. And by the way, I was wrong. There was always more than enough material to put in that newsletter. Wow. So you apply. So your entry into accounts payable is you apply for a position to write a newsletter and it was suggested that you write for accounts payable yes. because you were looking for another newsletter to write. And that is how uh, Mary Schaefer came into accounts payable. That's yep. a great story. You know, this, this saying you can be good or you can be lucky. I was, right. I was really lucky. Wow. Well, actually, I, I would say that your readers and accounts payable teams all over the world are lucky. You are. You are very kind. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so speaking, you know, of accounts payable, starting the newsletter, 
back then, what was the critical topic for AP when when you started in the field, when you started that newsletter? What was the critical topic? So uh, back then, and that, and that we we launched that in 1995. So it's been well over 20 years. Uh, 20 years. So if you can see, if you're just listening to this, you can't see. But if you're looking at it, you can see there's a picture of a computer, and you're probably laughing, thinking, "Oh my God!" Well, you know what? We were all if we were able to get a, a computer like this. We were thrilled. Okay, people shared them in the beginning. Accounts payable folks、um, got the hand-me-down computers from other departments. And at that time, probably the—I、uh, don't want to say—well, it, it was a critical issue, but the issue that got the most attention was duplicate payments. So just like today, I kind of compare it to the invoice automation that's going on today, in that there were a lot of vendors in the field.、Um, back then, there were a lot of vendors doing duplicate payment. And duplicate payment audits, looking for、um, you know payments that you shouldn't have made, and for good reason. Okay, it was a really good business. Gradually,、um, as companies started using best practices, that became somewhat less of an issue because by using best practices, some of the things, some of the simple things that we talk about,、um, you can eliminate a lot of your、um, duplicate payments. So it's an issue today, but not to the extent that it was then. Now the other big issues, and and this kind of saddens me, are some of the ones we still have today. So slow internal approval of invoices sound familiar? That was a huge issue.、Um, the other issue, which is kind of to some extent gone away, is typically in a in an organization, accounts payable and purchasing were always at each other's throats, or in many cases, they were.、Um, Always blaming the the other person, a lot of finger pointing going on. And since there was so little automation, we didn't have anything like an electronic audit trail to prove when something had actually、uh, been sent someplace. We had two other,、um, a few other points. Check fraud was the a huge issue, and in fact, it was in 1995 where the laws,、um, mainly the Commercial Code, uh, uh, was changed so that. Um, the the onus for fraud went away from the banks and, and onto the individual companies, forcing them to start to use some best practices like positive pay, for example. Check fraud, huge huge problem. Ten ninety nines. There was not the compliance that there is today.、Uh, there was some focus, but again, no technology.、Uh, it was it was an issue, as it is as still is today. But many many organizations were not doing. On what they were supposed to be doing, or they were just doing it haphazardly. And lastly, and this kind of runs as a thread through everything. There was not the amount of automation that there is today. We were just starting to see invoice automation come in, and when it did come in, it came in mostly at big companies, and it was very, very expensive, unlike today. So with that, we do have today, as you mentioned, we have more automation, especially around the P2P, where we are including both accounts payable and the procurement or、uh, purchasing function.、Mm-hmm. Uh, in that same cycle, do you see that as a critical factor in improving the accounts payable and purchasing relationship? Absolutely.、Um, for starters,、um, we used to always look at accounts payable as an island, if you will.、Um, you occasionally still hear that, but not not so much anymore. It's gradually, thanks to a whole bunch of changes, you know, mainly technology coming into 
um, you know, the mainstream, if you will, and being more integrated with other uh, features. Deborah mentioned the master vendor file, and that's always a place where purchasing an account's payable um, had a common interest, if you will. And in fact, in some companies, the the uh, master vendor file responsibility for it is in accounts payable. In other companies, um, it's in it's in procurement. So, in order to succeed today, you obviously and I don't want to undermine this, even though we talk about a lot of other top issues. It is really critical that anyone coming in understand the basics of the accounts payable function, how it works you know, what's needed. Because if you don't understand the basics, that's when internal controls start to slip. And that is also when you start to have problems. So that, that's an issue. Um, automation, without a doubt, the price has plummeted. And it's more and more um, important that people keep up to speed. And by the way, Deborah, we're also starting to have new forms of automation. So we're starting to see artificial intelligence and robotics weave their way gradually into the accounting space in general, and most specifically the accounts payable space. Talk a little bit about fraud before we dive into um, the automation, maybe. Um, sure. The fraud, as I mentioned in the beginning, was all focused on check fraud. Um, and, you know, Deborah, we're seeing now a lot of fraud that's enhanced by technology. And um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go on. But fraud has become a critical issue um, affecting master vendor file, affecting um, why transfers affecting basically the whole accounts payable function and it's critical that everybody stay on top of it. Okay, so critical topic for AP when you started in the field was duplicate payments, slow internal payment of invoices, accounts payable and purchasing um, relationship, check fraud, and then 1099s, and then with fraud as a common theme running through all of those, correct? Right. Um, not as much as it is today, back mm -hmm. in the day. Um, the fraud sense tended to be focused on checks. And in fact, if you look at some of the statistics going back even five years, never mind 20 years, you'll see that we had very little wire transfer fraud, which we know that has unfortunately changed. Yes. And, you know, to, um, you talked about fraud and, and AI and robotics. And I think one of the one of the things that I've seen and I can't remember where I saw it at, but it must have been a, uh, some post or something on LinkedIn. But they combined digital solutions or AI and human uh, interaction in a phrase that was artificial intelligence and human intelligence. And I think that combination is something that will drive great processes in the future to reduce fraud. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. But the other <laughs> thing about fraud that scares me, and it's why we need a huge human component in this, is that uh, the crooks who understand um, technology and they understand the internet and they understand banking and they research your company are finding always finding new ways to maneuver around. And I'm a little bit horrified, to be perfectly honest, at the number of new frauds that have, magna have manifested themselves over the last few years. And what it says to me is we, we can't let our guard down. 
Correct. So in looking at what topic you think is most critical for today's AP teams, would you say that is fraud or would you say it's something else? It's it's everything. I mean, fraud is definitely up there at the top of the list because, you know, if you turn your back, um, it, it, it just comes and, you know, takes your money. So it, it it's definitely there. But we're seeing also a lot of um uh, automation and um, artificial intelligence focused on the accounts payable function. Um, one of the things with automation that kind of um, leaves me stumped, if you will, with invoice automation is the fact that it's been around probably 15 years, at least 15 years, probably more than that. And the adoption of it is not as great as you would have expe expected. And what we've seen in the last, oh, I don't know, three, four, five years is the introduction of uh, invoice automation that is uh, very cost efficient, cost effective. It doesn't cost a fortune. In fact, there's one model out there right now that costs $500 a month. Okay. So Invoice automation used to be a big company topic. Today, it's something that's available for small and mid-sized companies. There's a solution for everyone. And taking that one step further, uh, these models, which are not expensive, they don't take long to implement. They're starting to bring in AI components so that they can do more and more. What advice would you give to these small and medium-sized companies to go out and find this automation that is affordable? So what, what you can do if you are going um, out there and you want to use invoice automation and you're, you know, you don't want to spend a million dollars, you, you or right. maybe you're willing to spend more than $500 a month, but you don't want the million dollars, is get online and do some research. Um, there are a number of companies that don't want to, you know, give them mm -hmm. names over this because we're not here about endorsing any any model, but people can certainly contact me or you afterwards. But get online and do some research. Um, and look, you know, invoice automation. Many of these vendors will have demos, online demos that sometimes you don't even have to give your name to watch. They'll give webinars. I always encourage people to sign up and see them. And people will say, well, you know what? That's just a sales pitch. And you know what? Sometimes they're right. It is just a sales pitch. But, you know, how else are you going to learn? Um, this, the information that I learned about invoice automation in the beginning, it all came from the vendors. So go and watch. And the, the nice thing about the online stuff is you don't have somebody coming in your office. If it turns out it's something that's not applicable for you or you're not interested, you just click off on the Internet. Nobody knows. You're not forced to sit and, and learn. One of the places you can see some of these videos is YouTube. So go to YouTube, put in invoice automation, um, and, and see what's out there. Um, you will find, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, nobody has their prices or almost nobody has their prices uh, print, uh, displayed on the Internet. So at some point, you're going to have to talk to them if you want to get prices. Uh, but, you know, you can narrow down your research. The Internet's great. YouTube is the second largest search engine, so it's quite applicable that uh, if you want to learn about invoice automation, you would start with YouTube. Yep. You know what else I use YouTube for, Deborah? which I'm, I know this is off topic, I'm sorry, but <laughs> if I'm doing something in Excel or Word and it's a function that I haven't used in a while, like in Word, one of the ones that I use is creating an index for a book. Um, I go to YouTube and I put whatever it is in and there's always a few little videos there showing me how to do whatever it is that I'm looking to do and um, I find it a big help. 
<laughs> yeah, YouTube is starting to be our, our first trainer, right? Mm -hmm. And it, what's really what's really funny about it is when I started this podcast, YouTube is where I went to. Uh, I typed in how to start a podcast, and I had so many videos come up. Now, again, not everything is applicable, but you right. find you can find a few videos that that can uh, teach you something that you didn't know. So YouTube is is great for that. I, I'm just right. amazed at the amount of information there. I mean, some, of it, some of it's not good, I'll, I'll grant you, but you can usually find something pretty easily. Yeah, and and if you find something and it wasn't great, you didn't pay anything for right. it, so you just move on to the next one. Right. And, and speaking of training, uh, if someone were new to Accounts Payable, what books or resources would you recommend to give them a fundamental base of AP like you gave me back when I was a new controller? Well, you're, you're very kind. Um, first of all, I would look around and I would sign up for some of the online e-zines that are free. Um, that gives you a little taste of, you know, what's out there. Um, I'm, I'm going to put in a plug. We have one on our website, AP Now. You just, the, the box is right there when you sign up. And then if you don't like it, you unsubscribe if it doesn't meet what your needs are. Um, I would look for some books. Um, I try and also look at the publication date of the books because um, things are changing quickly. Uh, the ones that I like, and of course I am very biased, I'm going to tell you that right now, are... Um, 101 Best Practices for Accounts Payable, it's mine, I admit it, and uh, the Fundamentals of Accounts Payable. I'd also go, if I wanted to learn something about some of the automation, I'd go to some of the, the webinars. Um, and um, if you're really looking to enhance your credentials, I might look at the certificate program that we have. Now, I strongly, strongly believe in uh, lifetime learning. Um, I think that uh, the days of going to college and learning what you had to learn and then maybe taking one course every 10 years are gone. You, we have to continually learn and um, update ourselves because otherwise we're just going to become antiquated. And now, as you and I have been talking, Deborah, fraud is a really important topic, but if I was in the accounting and accounts payable space, I would also try and learn a little bit, not a lot, okay, I'm not asking you to be a programmer, but learn a little bit about artificial intelligence, um, RPA, robotic process automation, blockchain, which we haven't talked about, cryptocurrencies, just so that you're able to, you know, talk intelligently about these topics. And that's a great transition to my next question, which is with cybercrime bringing the long-awaited focus to the vendor master file to the forefront, what do you see as a critical key to protect the vendor master file from fraud? Okay, so again, this is one of those times when use of best practices will really come into play because best practices incorporate strong internal controls into the master vendor file. Now, this is an issue, like you, Deborah, I'm very passionate about. And part of the reason that I'm passionate about it, and this makes me, it, it's so important, is that I, I know of two cases where accounts payable professionals were fired over this type of fraud. And they were fired because uh, somebody had sent a phony email to their company pretending to be a vendor saying that the um, they wanted to change their bank account for an electronic payment. The person in accounts payable did not verify that, that particular request. They went ahead and honored it, and then 
turned out it was fraudulent and the company was out. Um, I know in one case, $2 million. And then in the second case, I don't know the amount of money. And the accounts payable professional was fired because they didn't follow the standard, their practices, their written practices of verifying. So anytime you get a request to for a change of address, either a change of mailing address or a change of bank account number, for something in the mass defender file, even though it looks like it's accurate, it is critical that you verify it. Now, I had one controller say to me, yeah, that's real nice, he said, but we get a lot of these these requests, and every time we call up, it's a legitimate request. So I think that's a waste of effort. And my response to that is yes. You call 100 times, and it is, it's, an, it's an accurate request. It's a legitimate request. You don't call that 101st time. That's the time that it's fraudulent, and that's the time that you send $2 million that you can't get can't get back. So I think what's happened is I used to call Master Vendafile one of the stepchildren because it didn't really get the attention that it, it needed or deserved, and I think this fraud has brought it front and center, um, and we have to pay attention, and we have to dedicate the resources um, to it. Otherwise, one of, we're going to end up sending money to someone that we shouldn't, and we can't get it back. Yes, and, you know, fraud or, or the vendor master file is one of the areas where we are seeing now a lot of AP automation in, in, in forms of the vendor uh, self-registration portal. How do you feel about those? Well, I, it depends upon if I'm wearing my accounts payable hat, which I usually am, or my accounts receivable hat. From the accounts payable standpoint, this makes 110% sense. Um, the vendor puts in their own information. That saves AP a little bit of work. Um, they want to change a bank account. They just log into the portal using their user ID and password, and they put the change of bank account information in there. So from AP side, it makes a lot of sense. These portals, I call them master vendor files on Steam steroids, uh, you can do a lot with them. I will tell you that when I talk to receivables people, they say, yeah, this is great. We're doing your work and, you know, we have 6,000 vendors. And if we have to enter the information in for each vendor, we're never going to get done. So there, I, there has been a little pushback on the other side, which I understand, but I love them. Uh, because it protects against some of these frauds. And some of them, Deborah, will also do 1099 checking uh, using IRS 10 matching. Some of them will do OFAC checking. And again, this is all automated. Yes, and and you find, you know, if you can get those to be integrated with your ERPs, right. then the master process itself can be completely hands off. And I know that there's, um, it's not, you know, always 100% because you're right. always going to have those vendors, such as government vendors, compliance or tax and regulatory vendors that can't enter in. Um, so there's no, there's not going to be 100% compliance, but you can get a, a, uh, a high percentage of hands-off vendor setup process implemented at your company. And I think, I, I think they're great. And I think along with the um, uh, other AP automation, um, such as e-invoicing, um, you can get uh, those those prices are coming down for right. the vendor portal. Right. Well. Not only the prices are coming down, but the validations are increasing. Yes. You've got 
some of those portals out there that will not only validate the IRS and uh, with the IRS, the legal name and tax and ID. Matching. Right. And matching, yes, um, but also OFAC, right. um, other validations, even on the banking side, not just the right. routing number or the IBAN, but also the bank account name and the bank number, there's a validation for that as well, which reduces fraud. So they are the scope of the vendor uh, self-registration portal is increasing. And sometimes you see that uh, master vendor file, I call it master vendor file on steroids, you mm -hmm. see that integrated into an invoice automation uh, module. A lot of them have dynamic discounting mm -hmm. included, but if not, you can integrate that with other uh, third-party apps where you have implemented the dynamic discounting. So it, it's a lot of potential for the automation and the vendor master file with vendor self-registration portals. Yeah. No, I like them a lot. Um, I'll be very curious to see how, how we do. There's one other feature that some of them have, which I think would be of real interest to accounts payable uh, folks, and that is where you have payment visibility, so that instead yeah. of calling up saying, where's my money, your vendors can get online and see when you're when they're scheduled for payment. Oh, yes, and that is absolutely great. And the more you get the vendors going into the portal versus calling into your accounts right. payable help desk, the less potential you'll have for fraud. Because if you have that portal available, instead of taking that call and being susceptible to a phishing attempt, you can reroute that supplier to the portal. Right. And if they don't have a user ID and password, they can't get in. Correct. So that's your authentication wrapped up into one. All right. So closing thoughts. So I think we had a very good conversation. I do. I enjoyed um, it. Yes. <laughs> um, so where can the audience go to learn more about your accounts payable books and resources? So we have this all on our website, which is ap-now.com. Um, you can go there. When you get to the website, you will see that in the left-hand corner, there's a little box where you can sign up for our free easing. We send out um, tips or news or whatever we can find twice a week. And there'll be a little advertisement at the end. I'm not going to deny it. But the goal, our goal with that is to share business intelligence with the accounting, accounts payable, uh, and business community. Um, we always try and have at least one message for you, one, one tip. Hopefully you'll learn something. And then, of course, on the website we have all our fee-based memberships, which range from a newsletter only to what we call a platinum uh, membership, which includes the newsletter, our 23 or so webinars a year, um, and a portal of articles. And one of the things that I think is very interesting, and I would never have expected this, Deborah, when I first started out, is that our most uh, popular project product, and I think this is in recognition of how important the accounts payable function has become to people, is our platinum membership, which is the most expensive. Not exactly what I expected, but something that we're very happy about. Well, I will tell you that information is more useful now than ever. Thank you very much for coming on the Putting the AP and Happy podcast. Okay, and thank you, Deborah, for having me. I'm always thrilled um, to talk to intelligent, knowledgeable professionals like yourself about accounts payable. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the seventh episode of Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. 
It was great to have a conversation with Mary Schaefer, who is an accounts payable expert that provides content and business intelligence around both the AP and payments function. Don't forget to check the show notes. I will have links to the recommended books for newcomers to get a foundation in accounts payable, as well as a link to the site AP Now to find Mary's content. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor and give me a rating on iTunes or Google Play. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Until next time, stay happy.